and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to go enter the Search for the Stars competition to try to win $20,000. And also, we're going to be going to Sears to, you know, go shopping, um, even though I don't think Sears is even around anymore. But regardless of that, you know, whatever. And then also, we're just going to, like, go into the 70s and have a whole lot of fun. But... Today's episode, we're going to be covering 1995's The Brady Bunch movie. Now, let me tell you something about this movie, okay? This I am totally biased, and I love this movie a lot. <laughs> and I I don't even know really why. Like, I... So, full disclosure, I mean, I'm, like, a child of the 90s, so I definitely grew up watching 90s television, so, of course, a lot of, like, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, things like that. My ass didn't have Disney like that. You know, there was a time where you had to pay for Disney Channel, okay? Everyone wants to forget about that, but it's true. And so... But I watched a lot of Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, stuff like that, and so if part of that was that Nick at Night was a thing, and before George Lopez was all on it and shit, you know, you know, there was other stuff on there too. And so back in the 90s, you know, when you had these shows that were from the 70s and 80s playing on Nick and Night, things like I Dream of Genie or Bewitched or like the Brady Bunch, you know, that had come beforehand, it was something where I definitely remember seeing like the Brady Bunch in particular. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm like, I feel like my grandparents watched it a little bit. So maybe I definitely watched some with them when I was with them. Cause you know, my grandparents, um, my grandmother didn't work. So, you know, she ended up babysitting, you know, the kids in the family and while my grandfather worked in his older age a little bit but you know it was one of these things where i just remember watching it and um there's a certain level of comfort you get with a show like that because it is kind of like just this you know not exactly realistic family i don't think but like there's just something about it that's just really kind of just a nice warm hug if you will you know it's kind of nice and fuzzy and whatever And so I definitely watched this movie back in the day, back in like the 90s, you know, and and remembering that like, oh, like Marsha, like, isn't she in like the movie The Craft or whatever? And then finding out things like, you know, I didn't know completely who Shelley Long was when I was a kid like that, you know what I mean? Or or who Gary Cole was or or anything like, but I just remember thinking like, you know, okay, like these people are kind of funny. And, And also when you kind of juxtapose the show and the movie, I mean... They're two different beasts, obviously, but I mean, I I think that the the Brady Bunch movie particularly like really accomplishes its goal of being a fun parody of this without being mean. Um, I think that's another thing too. I don't think this movie is mean to the Bradys as a whole or anything. So I, I think that's also really interesting too. Yeah, I I just I love this movie a lot. I think it's a really good example of a parody that was done right. You know, and and God damn it, like you don't always get that. I think this and the sequel in particular, I think are just really great standalone films to this particular series uh, that is the Brady Bunch, you know, and, and they're completely standouts and completely wonderful. So I full disclosure, I completely um, have that bias towards that. As we normally do on the show today, though, we're going to go over some production history of the movie, go into a little bit about, you know, how the movie came to be, some figures of the movie 
movie, things like that. And then we'll move into a plot summary of this. So without further ado, let's get into those figures. So the Brady Bunch movie was released on February 17th, 1995, and was directed by Betty Thomas and written by Loris Elowaney, Rick Kopp, Bonnie Turner, and Terry Turner. It was produced by David Kirkpatrick, Sherwood Schwartz, and Lloyd J. Schwartz. We're looking at an estimated budget of $12 million and a gross U.S. and Canada box office of $46,576,136 and about a gross worldwide of about $54 million overall. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 63% on the tomato meter and a 47% audience score. We're looking at an IMDb score of 6.2 out of 10 and a Letterboxd score of 3.1 out of 5. For our cast of characters, we have Gary Cole as Mike Brady, Shelley Long as Carol Brady, Christopher Daniel Barnes as Greg Brady, Christine Taylor as Marsha Brady, Paul Sutera as Peter Brady, Jennifer Elise Cox as Jan Brady, Jesse Lee Sofer as Bobby Brady, Olivia Hack as Cindy Brady, Henriette Mantel as Alice Nelson, and David Graff as Sam Franklin, Michael McKeon as Larry Dittmeyer, Gene Smart as Dina Dittmeyer, Jack Noseworthy as Eric Dittmeyer, Mariah Snyder as Missy Dittmeyer, R.D. Robb as Charlie Anderson, Megan Ward as Donna Leonard, Alana Ubach as Noreen, Marissa Ribisi as Holly, James Avery as Steve Yeager, Elisa Pensler Gabrielli as Miss Lindley, and RuPaul as Mrs. Cummings. And then we have cameos from Florence Henderson, the original Carol Brady, as the family's grandmother, Carol's mother, Ann B. Davis, the original Alice, as Schultze, a trucker, Barry Williams, the original Greg, as a record producer, Christopher Knight, the original Peter, as a coach, Davy Jones as himself, Mickey Dolenz as himself, and also Peter Tork as himself as well. Some critical response quotes about the Brady Bunch movie are as follows. We have Gene Siskel from the Chicago Tribune who states, The only attempt at stretching the wooden characters involves middle sister Jan being teed off at perfect older sister Marcia and throwing a few fits. We smiled for the first time. We then have Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times who states, The film establishes a bland, reassuring, comforting Brady reality. A certain muted tone that works just fine, but needs, I think, a bleaker contrast from outside to full exploit the humor. And then we have Rob Blackwelder from Spliced Wire who states, there are a surprising number of good laughs, but in the end, it's an NBC movie of the week filmed in 35 millimeter. So before we move into any kind of plot summary about the Brady Bunch movie, uh, I thought it would be more important to just go over some, you know, production history of the movie and also just like, how did the Brady Bunch exactly come to be? Now, I will say in production history like type stuff, I don't know why this movie was exactly made, but I'll, I'll at least give kind of of a theory of how I think or why it was, but because I can't really seem to find anything like concrete out there of like why was this movie made, but I want to go over a little bit of just how did the Brady Bunch exactly come to be because I think the Brady Bunch is definitely a an example of a TV show that has been in syndication for goddamn ever at this point and you know, it really kind of contextualizes why this movie was made at the time it was. So let's let's move forward. Um, so in 1966, following the success of his TV series he made, Gilligan's Island, Sherwood Schwartz um, conceived the idea for the Brady Bunch, 
in particular, after having read uh, an LA Times article that stated that 30% of marriages in the U.S. have a child or children from a previous marriage, or what we know as a blended family. He set out to work on a pilot script for the a series that was tentatively called Mine and Yours. And in this script, he developed that it would include three children from each parent. While Mike Brady is depicted as being a widower, Schwartz uh, originally wanted the character of Carol to be a divorcee, but the network uh, objected to that uh, particular approach. And a compromise was reached whereby Carol's marital status, whether she was divorced or widowed, was never directly revealed. And that also plays into the sequel as well. So Schwartz shot the series uh, to the big three television networks of the era, which was still kind of what they are today, NBC, ABC, and CBS. So they all liked the script, but each network wanted changes before they would actually commit to filming it. So Schwartz, he had to shelve the idea. Although similarities exist between this series and two 1968 theatrical released films, which were Yours, Mine, and Ours, that had Henry Fonda and Lucille Ball in it, and also the CBS show with Six You Get Egg Roll, which had Brian Keith and Doris Day in it, the original script for The Brady Bunch actually predates the scripts for both of the films. Nevertheless, though, uh, the outstanding success of Yours, Mine, and Ours was a factor in ABC's decision to decide to order some episodes for this series in particular. So they greenlit it. So after receiving a commitment of 13 weeks for television shows uh, from ABC in 1968, uh, Sherwood Schwartz, he hired film and television director John Rich to direct the pilot, uh, then called The Brady Brood. And he cast the six children from 264 interviews during that summer and hired the actors to play the mother, the father, and the housekeeper. So for the part of the father, Schwartz originally cast Bob Holiday, who was known for being Superman in a Broadway musical at the time. But since Holiday didn't have a whole lot of on-camera experience, uh, they actually overrode his decision and gave this role actually to Robert Reed instead, who at this time had been on TV a bunch of times. As the sets were built on Paramount Television Stage 5, adjacent to where H.R. Puffin stuff was filmed, also uh, Sid and Marty Croft, who made... Jar Puff and stuff would later go on to produce the Brady Bunch Hour, like which was like the variety show that they did. Uh, the production crew also prepared the backyard of a home in Sherman Oaks, Los Angeles, as the exterior location for the chaotic backward backyard wedding scene which is in the pilot of this show so they made this pilot and the pilot seemed to go off and that's really what ended up making the show the way it was the theme song of this show was written by sherwood schwartz himself and frank duvall and originally arranged sung and performed by a guy by the name paul Parrish, Lo- lois fletcher and also john bland under the name of the Peppermint Trolley Company quickly communicated to audiences that the Brady's was a blended family. And as we know, this is a very iconic theme song. Um, as described above, the Brady family is shown in a three by three tic-tac-toe style board style graphic with Carol at the um, top center, Alice in the middle block, and Mike in the bottom center. And to the right of three are three blocks with the boys from the oldest on top to the youngest, and the left of the three uh, with the girls from oldest to youngest. And so in season two, the Brady kids took over singing the theme song. In season three, the boys sing the first verse, girls sing the second, and everyone sings together. And then in season four, a new version is recorded with the same structure as the season three version. But then in season five, the the three version uh, 
returns. So that was kind of fun. So we all know the theme song and how wonderful and iconic it is. And of course, it's in this movie as well. The Brady House itself uh, was built in 1959 and used in exterior shots. It originally bore little uh relation to the interior layout until 2018 when actually the interior of the house was rebuilt to match the soundstage sets of the Brady's on-screen home. It's in Studio City, which is just in Los Angeles. According to a 1994 article on the Los Angeles Times, the San Fernando Valley house was built in 1959 and it was selected as the Brady residence because Sherwood Schwartz felt like it looked like a home where an architect would live. And so like a false window was put in there to give the illusion it had two full stories when actually it apparently doesn't. And and also, the owner refused to allow Paramount to restore the property to its 1969 look for the Brady Bunch movie. Um, so a facade resembling the original house was built on an existing house. Uh, so that's kind of a fun thing, too. This house was put up for sale for the first time in 19 since 1973 in 2018. It asked for $1.85 million. And also, well, HGTV ended up outbidding seven other people for it, including Lance Bass, who also wanted that house. And they ended up using it for what was called a very Brady renovation, which the kind of whole point for that was that they were going to make it uh, so that... It looked like the inside of the Brady house and all that stuff. And they got all of the actors um, who played the kids involved in this whole thing and all that good stuff. The interior shots of the Brady house were used at least three times for other Paramount shows. So twice for Manic and one for Mission Impossible. So it's kind of fun. And also re- a recreation of the Brady house was constructed for an X-Files episode too, which also uh, revolved around the Brady Bunch. So in this film in particular, uh, the basic idea I know of is that this was all shot around Los Angeles because really the Brady's are supposed to be kind of a Californian family, I guess. So the Brady house was in Sherman Oaks. The school's scenes were done uh, at Taft High School in Woodland and hills and um some of the scenes were filled at bowcraft amusement park in scotch plains new jersey right on the east coast as i stated they were trying to you know um use the actual house uh but they weren't able to actually use it the thing is is about this production history is that i can't really find a concrete answer of like why did this movie exactly come to be and why did they make it right but really if i had to gather or if i had to infer why this movie was exactly made i really think it came down to just like i think at this time in 1995 For whatever reason, there was this kind of push or this interest in nostalgia of the 70s. Kind of like how nowadays we have a nostalgia for like the 90s or like even the 2000s to a point because it's now been 20 years. Dear God, I'm old. But, you know, it's like that was kind of the thing that was going on in the 90s. And also you had things that were from the past that ended up getting turned into something that, you know, could do well. Uh, Examples of this could be something like, you know, they made the movie Richie Rich with Macaulay Culkin. Uh, They made Dennis the Menace, you know. Uh, They made the two Adams Family movies. Like, and so I feel like that was probably a big thing. And then plus also the Brady Bunch itself really was uh it really is just it's one of the mo- it's one of these shows that has literally almost never went out of syndication in a way and maybe it has been now but like there was a time and i kind of remember that that like you would just turn on nick at night and you could just watch the brady bunch do you know what i mean like that was just something you could do and i'm sure that kind of helped 
making something like this, especially since this is a Paramount movie. Um, and Paramount was also the same people who did like Clueless. They had that MTV audience and also the Nickelodeon audience a little bit because it was all part of Viacom. Um, so it, it kind of made sense that you would make a show, you know, take a show that people know about and that they watched. It wasn't exactly like a beloved show when it came out. I think people also forget that a little bit too, is that like the Brady Bunch itself, you know, it's not like it had like a huge following of people. I don't think it doesn't seem like it, you know, it it really, I think it was seen kind of as hokey in a way back in the seventies, even too. Um, And they, uh, the whole point of this movie especially is to poke fun or to really parody the fact that this kind of stereotypical 70s family that's full of these squares in a way are now like just thrown into 90s era Los Angeles you know I just think like it was kind of just ripe to make a movie for and I think it ended up doing you know it ended up doing pretty well in a weird way and it ended up spawning the sequel as well a very Brady sequel and then also a sequel after that the Brady's go to Washington and I don't even know about that one but you know it's like yeah it just it makes sense that like this is what happened because you know that's what we wanted to do we wanted to bring stuff the flintstones came out you know i mean like there was this push for you know movies to be made that could bring people you know some sort of joy and some kind of nostalgia or reverence for you know these past type of you know properties if you will so it completely makes sense to me why they made this movie i also think just like the interest in like um there was a live brady show it was called the real life brady bunch this was directed and made by um these two siblings uh the soloway siblings pretty much uh you have faith soloway and then you have joey soloway um, who's now known as Joey Soloway. Uh, they were a uh, producer on like Six Feet Under. They pretty much created the show Transparent on Amazon. Um, and anyway, so Joey and their older sister, after Joey got out of college, uh, one of the things that uh, them and their sister created was a parody of the Brady Bunch for live stage called The Real Live Brady Bunch. Yeah, so they made this thing and... It's crazy because, like, they ended up getting, like, some good people in it. Actually, uh, Andy Richter and uh, from Conan and Jane Lynch, of course, just lesbian extraordinaire, uh, Glee, uh, fucking Grister Guest movies, like, all this stuff. She was playing Carol. Christine Taylor was even in uh, a production of this in L.A., which is kind of cool. Uh, she ended up being in the movie. But, yeah, it just kind of all worked out. And, and again, I think it was just some some peaked interest of, like, oh, there's this thing about the Brady Bunch, and that's kind of cool. So, yeah, I think that also kind of maybe played into a little bit of it as well. But I think it was just right to make a movie about. I mean, God damn it, if they were going to make a Flintstones movie. I mean, I wasn't surprising that they were then going to make a Brady Bunch movie. But, anyway. With all that being said, uh, let's move in to a plot summary of the Brady Bunch movie. So we begin our film with, you know, our Paramount intro, and we are then put into the intro to Los Angeles, California, where we have this, like, aerial shot of, like, some buildings and stuff. Uh, We have this iconic grunge song that is playing, uh, which I think is just a fake grunge song, honestly. I don't think it's real. And um, we then have all of these 
90s LA people, you're driving in their cars or they're walking down Hollywood Boulevard and all that stuff that you do when you're in LA and when you're, you know, just over everything. And uh, anyway, we then see Mr. Dittmeyer, who's played by Michael McKeon, who uh, is from Clue, and he is uh, on his car phone talking to his boss. And we find out that uh, Mr. Dittmeyer is a real estate agent, and he is, he's gotten all of the other neighbors in the neighborhood he lives in to, um, like, option to sell their house, uh, except for one particular family uh, that is not wanting to sell their house. And his boss is asking him, like, well, what's, what's up with them? What's their story? And, <laughs> well, Mr. Dittmeyer says, well... <laughs> and then we get moved into our actual Brady Bunch title sequence, which is literally like the intro of the actual TV show, really. Uh, it has, uh, we are introduced to all of our Brady Bunch members. So we have Shelley Long, who's playing Carol. We have Mike, who is played by Gary Cole. We then have the three girls and the three boys. The three girls, we have Marsha, Jan, and Cindy, played by Christine Taylor, Jennifer Elise Cox, and Olivia Hack. Uh, respectively. And then we had the boys, Greg, Peter, and uh, Bobby, who are played by Christopher Daniel Barnes, Paul Sutera, and Jesse Lee Sofer, uh, respectively. And so we have this iconic uh, title sequence. Uh, And then we have, it really starts off as like a literal sitcom episode, so buckle in. But anyway, so uh, we see that Alice, played by Henriette Mantel, is getting the mail uh, from the, the mailbox. And she then falls into the bushes because these guys like throw something like, uh, I don't know what they throw to her, but like they throw something. I think it is like the newspaper or something. And she like hits her butt and she like falls into the bush. It's really funny. Anyway, we got our intro to Mike and Carol who are in the kitchen. Carol is like really, she is making a cup of coffee and she's putting so much sugar in that. I don't even know how she's supposed to drink it. It's just sugar at that point. But anyway, so we get our intro to them and we get our intro to Cindy played by Olivia Hack. She is uh, a child actress, but she also went on to be voice actor. Um, She's in Avatar. Um, She also is in um, Rhonda from Hey Arnold. That's actually another job she did. She's a cool lady. And she's very, uh, in any of the history I've found about uh, the Brady Bunch, the Brady Bunch movie and all that kind of stuff, she is doesn't mince words, which I really appreciate. Uh, she has literally said that the original Brady kids um, from the show really did not like them, and she does not mince words about that. But anyway, so we have Cindy. She has her little lisp and everything like that. And... You know, the whole idea that she's this tattletale or something, which again harkens back to the show. We then have our intro to Marsha, played by Christine Taylor. She is in the bathroom, like brushing her hair, and she's brushing it 5,000 times, apparently. Christine Taylor would end up becoming Mrs. Ben Stiller uh, later on in her life, but she is known for Hey Dude on Nickelodeon. She was on that for however long that was on. And then also she's in The Craft, which I may be covering in the near future. Um, but she's in that movie, uh, and, and she's just kind of all over the place in the 90s. She now has a podcast with David Lachier, uh, Lachier, Lachier, um, from Sabrina and Hey Dude, uh, where they talk about 90s stuff. So, you know, and I also got some of the information um, about the Brady Bunch movie from that actual interview, because uh, they have a whole reunion about it. So go check that out if you want to. But anyway, so we see that we have Greg and Jan. Greg is played by Crystal Daniel Barnes, who he um, would end up 
doing voice over acting, I believe, but also he is known as Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid. That's his voice. So we have Greg, who's the oldest brother, and then we have Jan, uh, played by Jennifer Elise Cox, who would end up, uh, again, was more of a, a comedy person she's in six feet under uh for a couple episodes which i thought was really fun um and you know just overall funny lady and she's the middle child uh and they're trying to get into the bathrooms it's like a jack and jill style bathroom where they all share it and anyway so we have all their intros and everything um then we have jan uh has her inner voices because she's in the room with marcia and marcia's talking about how like you know i believe those are my uh, white knee socks and then she sees that she took it from her and so then we see that jan has inner voices um so she's just hearing voices in her head uh which will come out throughout the movie we have our intro to peter and bobby uh peter is played by paul sutera and bobby is played by jesse sofer uh jesse lee sofer who is now on the chicago shows and shit like that but uh this is one of the things he did when he was a, a kid anyway we have their little intros and stuff too these are the younger boys and then we see that uh, as Alice went and got the mail and everything, they're going through the mail and they see that they got some of the Dip Myers mail. Um, and so <laughs> I think there's some point where uh, I think it's in the scene where Cindy is stirring like this cake mix or whatever. And, she, and Carol's all like, I think it's enough stirring, Cindy. And she's just like, I'm not stirring. I'm looking for Kitty Carol's underpants. And Carol's just like, okay, um, how about you go run our mail over? Uh, go run this mail over to the Dittmeyers and go see if they have anything of ours. And so Cindy runs over to the Dittmeyers. So we come out of this like uh, kind of stylized Brady Bunch house that is not the actual Brady Bunch house, but the set and um it, she then goes through the gate and she then enters the real world pretty much which is just like a suburban los angeles and she sees the Dittmeyers. so she sees what is his name uh eric Dittmeyer uh, and missy Dittmeyer, played by jack noseworthy um and I don't remember uh, the actress's name for for Missy, but we see that Missy is like Cindy's age, which is like really funny. Jack Noseworthy uh, has been in other movies. Uh, he was in Celso Be Demented. Um, he's been in a couple other things. He's actually a gay in real life, which I think is enjoyable, and it's fun to see him in this. But anyway, so um, runs over the Dittmeyers, uh, and so... She, uh, Cindy is outside of their house where they have like this weird ass door, um, where like the window is like one part and then the door is the other part. Anyway, so you see Mr. Dittmeyer on his, um, like treadmill or whatever. And we see Mrs. Dittmeyer played by Jean Smart, you know, of uh, designing women fame and also hacks on HBO. And, you know, she's gotten her kind of, uh, recognition uh for that show but anyway uh she's in this movie though and we love her for that and anyway um she comes over and she gives them their mail and then they ask like she asks them like do you have any of our mail pretty much but she does it in a way where her list is really pronounced um and so mr dittmeyer is like i don't know what you're saying and there's the whole thing with like um mrs dittmeyer like yells and you know she's just like the mail larry or whatever and so that's really funny i also think it's a fun little thing too that uh both gary cole is in this movie and gene smart is in this movie and they would end up then going on to be the parents of kim possible on the show kim possible uh they play mama and papa possible so i thought that was really fun that they had technically worked together before uh and they actually do so anyway but yeah we have Cindy's lisp uh anyway so she comes back uh with their mail and all that uh from the dip and we see that mike uh he has the 
the mail and he sees that uh they got a letter from the county that says that they had not paid their property taxes uh which i guess for 20 years i don't know you just don't think of that stuff i guess who knows anyway but uh now pretty much what happens is that they owe twenty thousand dollars to the county Uh, otherwise they can auction their house and stuff like that so anyway we then see uh so of course this is keeping between him and carol at this point um and so but anyway though we see that i mean the kids have already kind of been getting ready for school at this point anyway but then alice actually like (laughs) you know rallies the troops as she says and she like uh they run down the stairs all together and then they all like knock into each other and then jan's even just like do we really have to stand so close together um which i thought was really funny and so the family all has breakfast together and so you know they're all just talking about god knows what this is very much a a movie where if you had watched some of the brady bunch already or maybe you're a fan of it or you just grew up watching it like definitely you can get some of the because some of the things that they talk about in here like for example jan thinking that and that's a lot of this movie too is that like there is a plot here but like also a lot of it's just like hearkening back to the actual show so you know sue me but like i may not have like a consistent plot summary but whatever it's fine Anyway, but we see, like, at the breakfast table, like, Jan's there, and she's just, like, you know, um, she's talking about, like, how she doesn't wear her glasses and all that, but she's supposed to wear her glasses. That was something that happened in the show. Um, We see that Bobby is, like, a safety monitor at school. Nobody wants to talk to him now. All that kind of stuff. So there's just these little things that are harkening back to the show and all of that. But anyway, so we then move on from breakfast at the Brady's, which I do also appreciate that uh, in the background on their little chalkboard, which was in the actual the house or whatever, it just says pork chops and applesauce. I guess it's like, what's for dinner? Uh, which I thought was really funny because if you don't already know that is a saying that Peter says uh, where he has this I don't remember what episode it was but it was something where it was like where he had this affected way of saying pork chops and applesauce where he'd be like pork chops and applesauce Uh, so I thought that was very funny that they had that again this is just like such a silly movie but the kids are finally off to school now Um, I don't even know what the fuck time it is to be honest but whatever it's fine so they're all off to school so I guess like i'm assuming that like greg and Marsha and i guess peter are all going to the same school and, and then jan is too uh, and then the littler kids i guess are going to another school and so we see jan riding her bike without her glasses uh which is just hilarious because like she puts them on at first when she's like because bobby's working on his bike in the background and like she takes her glasses off and she's like ride and ride and she hits into the fence and then she's riding riding she hits into the hedge and then she um just like rides her bike out but she rides it out in the middle of the street and almost gets hit by a car uh and then the guy who's driving the car would be like stay out of the road you stupid kid or whatever it's so funny anyway so then there is a scene which i personally love where it is so let's see we have like uh i guess one of them or at least like they have two cars i guess because we see that mike does have a car he has a really nice blue car by the way because him and mr dittmeyer are talking because like Mike is going to work, he works as an architect, and so him and Mr. Dittmeyer are talking before he goes to work, and Mike and him are talking about like, uh, you know, hey, you still don't want to sell your house, and like Mike's like, no, of course not, I don't want to sell my house, blah blah blah. They have that whole conversation. I really like Mike's car, but then I guess they also have another car. It's a station wagon that because Carol does not work, um, they just have a car, I guess, and so they let the kids, the older kids, use it to go to school or whatever, which makes sense. But anyway, so um, 
one of my favorite things though and also let me just tell you this um gary cole holy jesus like he is so handsome in this film like oh dear god anyway so hey gary cole but anyway so (laughs) one of my favorite scenes though is uh this scene where um, you have Greg and Marsha, and that's a whole other thing for the sequel. Tune in next week. But uh, we we have them driving their car, you know, driving their mom's car, I think, at this point. Or I guess Marsha's mom's car or whatever the fuck. Anyway, but they're driving the car and they're stopped at a light or something. And it, there's just this carjacking that happens. So, like, this guy comes up. It's this, like, young Asian guy. And he, like, comes up. He's like, this is a carjacking. Everyone get out. And then I love how Greg just, like, rolls down the window. And he just says, well, of course this is a car. But my name's not Jack. It's Greg. And this is my sister, Marsha. And it's just so funny. It's the best way that anybody can handle a carjacking ever. And then Marsha's just like, mm, it's nice to meet you. It's, like, so good. Like, uh, it's just such, oh, my God. It, like... It's like poking fun at the fact that like LA can be sort of kind of dangerous, I guess, depending, but like, and also poking fun at like, it's just a time capsule of the nineties, but like making light of this situation that is like, it's super scary situation, like being carjacked, which can happen. But like, this is just something like, that's absolutely how the Brady's would probably handle that. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's so good. So yeah, we had like uh, Mike and Mr. Dittmeyer talk or whatever. And I loved how his car was. Then we have Greg and Marsha arrive to school which is literally how Marsha says school is school. And a funny thing about that is that literally, if you actually listen to, cause I think even Christine Taylor has even talked about this, that like literally, um, if you watch back Maureen McCormick, like in this mood, in this show, like literally that's how she says some of these words. So like school, which we hear in the, the sequel too, actually of her saying school, but she says it as school. Like that's literally how Marie McCormick said that word. <laughs> and the same thing with like um Jan, so with Jennifer Leescox when she's watching Eve Plum, like really some of the way that she spoke and or like moved, um she also tried to take in a little bit of that being an actress as she is. But anyway, so they arrive at school and let me tell you something. I put in my notes that because uh, they get out of the car, we have like a low rider like behind them or whatever. And I just I, they get out of the car. So, like, we see that Greg is interested in Donna Leonard, uh, who gets off the bus, and, like, he's, like, really into her, and he's trying to hurt, hit on her, but she's kind of, like, a low-key feminist a little bit, kind of, sort of. Like, she's just like, it's not history, it's her story. And, like, whatever. Like, she's talking about, you know, all this. But I just have in my notes that Marsha is such an icon, because she just, like, is so pretty, and she's just, like, walking through the school, and she's just like, hi, everybody. And it's just, like, so good. Like, she's such an icon. Like, I think, like, Venus from, like, uh, not Brainerama, but at this point, I don't know. It might be. Who knows? Uh, but Venus, that song is playing, um, you know, she's got it. Yeah, baby, she's got it. That kind of thing. It's so funny. Uh, it would have been funnier if they used, um, like, a song from the 70s or something. But, like, whatever. I don't know. It's still funny. But anyway, so, yeah, she's just an icon. I love her. And we have our intro to Dor- or Noreen. We have our intro to Noreen because we see that Marsha comes up to her. Uh, Noreen is played by the one and only Alana Ubach, who has been mentioned on this podcast before because she was in Legally Blonde. And she's also been in just like other movies too. And she's just an icon. And I love her. Um, but anyway, so we see, we see that Noreen is like Marsha's best friend, I guess, which is wonderful. And she's also quoted as queer. And I love how this movie has 
queer things in it for sure. It's so funny. Like earlier they had a, <laughs> because like Mr. Dittmeyer said something about taking it in the rear for something. And Cindy took that as like, she says that to her parents, uh, which is just very funny. And even Carol's all like, you know, you know, that's Mr. Dittmeyer's business. <laughs> and it's just like so good. Oh my God. But anyway, so then we have, um, Doug Simpson, who is like a guy on campus. Uh, he's the big man on campus. Okay. And <laughs> anyway, so like, because Marsha's interested in him and it's just like, oh, okay, cool. So like there, she's interested in him. And, uh, there's the whole scene where like, she's just like, okay, Noreen, go away. But, like, no, wait, don't, but, no, leave. But like, stay, but like, uh, pretend like I just said something really funny. Um, and so like he comes up to her because we see that like Doug is interested in Marsha, but he's interested in, he's interested in her for very disgusting things. But anyway, so, um, which we'll find out later, but anyway, so Doug does Mar ask Marsha out, um, to the dance coming up, which is a very Brady thing to do. Uh, but anyway, so she's like, Oh, I'd love to. And then she realizes that she already was, planning to go to the dance with charlie so she can't go out with two boys at once like oh no what do i do so <laughs> then um then we have health class um this is just like kind of a throwaway scene a little bit but we get this for peter and then we also get our little bit of an intro to holly who is played we we already kind of got a little bit of her but she is played by marissa Rubisi, who has also been brought up on this podcast before uh she was cynthia in days confused she is the former wife of uh beck the indie singer uh and unfortunately is a scientologist however her and her brother giovanni rubisi um i mean i like giovanni rubisi too he's kind of a nice he's a good actor um it's just unfortunate they're scientologists but i think they grew up in it and maybe they'll come around to it who knows they'll come around but anyway so we see that health class is happening and like uh the fact that i think it was that like peter was chosen to like talk about how like the fallopian tubes like to talk about menstruation pretty much and so like he faints at the sight of it because of course a brady would uh at like the female figure the literal atomic anatomical form of the vagina but anyway so we then have our wonderful cameo uh, because Jan feels like she needs to get some guidance in her life. And we see that she's decided to go to the school's guidance counselor, Mrs. Cummings, who's played by the one and only RuPaul. And so I love how this whole scene is so iconic. So uh, for the children out there who know RuPaul as having a gigantic TV show and having millions and millions of dollars, but at one point, RuPaul was known for, uh, well, they knew, were known for the supermodel song, um, you know, the You Better Work song, uh, and that was a big hit, and then they ended up getting a, a talk show after that, and, and whatever, but this is like the in-between, because them being in this movie uh, was really kind of a, a stunt thing. It'd be like if like a drag race queen or whatever would have been in like some sort of major movie or whatever. Um, the fact that she could get into this was really cool, and I also think it's just really interesting and just shows the, the camp vibe of this. I think Betty Thomas did a really good job at um, really keeping this campy sense sensibility on this set because that's kind of the whole point but anyway so mrs cummings is talking about like what can i help with to you today jan 
She's like, teenage pregnancy, bulimia, suicidal tendencies. And then Jan's all like, no, it's my stupid glasses. And she's talking, talking. And then she's like, you know, she hears in her voices and she's like, in her voices, that's good. Let's explore that. And it's just like her like talking about like how, you know, okay, you're an only ch- you're a middle child and paranoid schizophrenia can apparently, I don't know what's researched says that but paranoid schizophrenia can run in the middle children of like blended families or whatever and anyway so like it's a whole thing where like uh (laughs) mrs cummings is talking to her and then um gives her a copy of her book and her tapes yes there used to be books on tape and kind of sends her on her way after giving her some nice life advice and then of course she has to do the obligatory where you have like the supermodel song playing in the background and she has to of course say like and girl you better work or whatever it's just like so funny anyway i love mrs cummings so much but anyway so then we see that peter so peter like goes up to holly like at the lunch uh like outside for lunch or whatever and so we see that he's gonna want to carry her books or something like that because you know she's like has her book bag in one hand and she has the lunch tray in another or whatever um i think he holds her lunch tray actually but anyway so you have that but then um Eric and his friend come up to him and is all like about to like squish some food in his face or whatever and just give him a hard time. But then they're stopped by a coach who is played by the actual Peter Brady, uh, Christopher Knight. But that was also very cut down, I believe. Uh, and also, if you didn't already know this, uh, in the beginning, you have a, uh, post office worker uh, who is a male woman and you actually uh, if you didn't already know that's actually susan olsen um who was the original cindy so that's kind of fun but anyway so we have that and anyway you remember christopher knight when him and adrian curry were married and they had a tv show and everything and then they got divorced that was a whole thing. Oh my god, the 2000s were so weird, dude. But anyway, so... <laughs> but we see that Peter likes Holly, and that ends up coming out um, in the end, which is nice. Anyway, Mike goes to his job, and, you know, because he needs $20,000, like, um, he's asking for an advance on his... Uh, on this. And the boss is like, you know, I wish we could, but, like, you know, the recession just happened, and all this, and I only got a few guys coming in anyway, and whatever. And, uh... He, he's talking about, like, his boss is talking about how, like, I don't know how to tell you this, but, like, your designs are, like, from another time period. Um, but then, of course, his Mike is just like, well, you know, I'll, I'll do hard work and then I'll make sure to try to get um $20,000 advance. You know, I'm going to put in the work to try to get it. So then we're back at the Brady house. I guess Cindy is now home, question mark, or she didn't go to school. I don't know. But anyway, so we see that, uh, what is it? She is, I think, jumping rope. And then she ends up like, or maybe they're back home from school, I guess. But anyway, so we, uh, she's like jumping rope in the dip Myers, like driveway. And then she goes back into her actual like backyard or whatever. And so then, um, after being shooed away and she bounces a ball in her yard or whatever. And then the ball goes, uh, over the fence and she's going and getting it. Um, in the meanwhile, you also have like some, uh, electric worker, uh, power line worker who is like up on the, uh, power lines and he like almost gets shocked or whatever. And it like spooks him. And then there's like this, um, 
power line that just like falls or whatever. And anyway, so then you have that um what had happened was this guy comes down and then Cindy is like standing there or whatever. And the guy, the electric worker, he's all like, you know, I have to get something under my truck. Like, can you watch this and make sure no one touches it? But he also has a lisp, which is really funny. And anyway, so then like uh Mr. Dittmeyer comes out and he's all like, like, you need to go back to your own house, like go back to your yard or whatever. And Cindy's trying to be like, you know, well, I would Mr. Dittmeyer, but like I've been told to like, you know, not have even touched this thing. I also like how Mr. Dittmeyer calls her the bad seed at one point, which is very funny because she does look like the bad seed. Uh, but anyway, so then, but what ends up happening is that like Mr. Dittmeyer like shoes Cindy away and he thinks that the power line is like um, her jump rope. And so he touches it and he gets uh, electroshocked and does not die apparently. But anyway, so then, um, like he's on the ground with like his hair looking crazy. And then we see that the dog comes up and he's like about to pee on his head. And he's like, don't even try it or you're going to be like, whatever. So I just thought that was kind of fun. I have in my notes that Carol and Mike talk. I guess they talk about like, well, they're talking and what they're talking about is that they're talking about like, oh, hey, because Mike's come home from work and I, he wasn't able to get that $20,000 advance right away. And so Carol and Mike are talking about like, you know, oh, God, we might have to sell the house. Like we might lose the house, blah, blah, blah. And so Cindy overhears this. Um, and so Cindy goes up to Greg's room and uh, is talking about like, you know, well, if it's something really important, but I don't want to be a tattle, like, you know, what if I have something really important to tell somebody? And then Greg's all like, well, you know, it wouldn't be a tattle if it's something really important. And so then Cindy says something about how, like, you know, I'm not going to tell that mom and dad need to sell the house or whatever. And so, of course, like, Greg's like, oh, no. And he's the oldest boy, technically. So he, of course, um, decides to get a little kid meeting together kid meeting is what they call it and anyway so they're all in the girls room and they're talking with one another talking about how like you know this is happening and then maybe all of them can just get like little side jobs or something to like help try to make some money in order to uh save the house or whatever and so then uh during this because they don't want to move and so they're talking about like you know oh we love this house and like we'd have to like go to a new school and make new friends and then I love how Jan says that. And then Marcia says like, but Jan, you don't have any friends. And so again, it's just everyone shits on Jan. She's very much the Meg Griffin of the, the, the piece, if you will. But anyway, so they have the kid meeting. And so they all decide like, all right, each one of us is going to try and like get a little job or something. We're going to do a little something in the, you know, our spare time to try to make some money. And then after this kid meeting, we then see that, uh, Jan has a dream. Um, and Jan has a dream about how, like, because of course she just hates Marsha, kind of sort of, because she just feels like she's in her shadow or whatever. But, like, uh, Jan has a dream where, like, she has these scissors and she cuts Marsha's hair. And, um, <laughs> like, Marsha's hair, like, you know, is like this short bob now. And then Cindy wakes up and she's just like, Jan, what are you doing? And she's like, go back to sleep, Cindy. And anyway, so, like, you know, you see that, like, uh, Marsha wakes up with this, like, little bob that she has on or whatever. And so, like, then people think it, like, looks really stylish and cute. And then she's like, no, it's supposed to look horrible. No! And then that's, like, her nightmare, which is just, like, really funny. 
Anyway, so like Greg and Marsha, I guess they talk about something. I don't goddamn remember what they were talking about, but they were talking about like how I don't even. Oh, I think they were talking about um, how Marsha was asking Greg because Greg decided he's going to be a rock star now, which was like in the movie. It was an actual um, TV show is that he literally did try to become like a rock star called Johnny Bravo. And so he this comes back in this movie. But anyway, so Marsha's asking him like, oh, like, what do you do? when you have two guys that you agreed to go out with, but like, you know, you can't go out with two guys at the same time. And then Greg just says like, you know, well, you know, most guys like would, you know, like if you just tell them like something came up, something suddenly came up, like normally guys will take that as a, you know, answer. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, awesome. Anyway. So, um, yeah, so we have that. And then, uh, we see that it's the next day at school and Marsha's at school. And, Charlie comes up to her and Charlie is like this, this boy that comes up to her and he's like, Hey, Marsha, like, you know, can't wait for the dance on Friday. And then Marsha's saying like, you know, Oh, well, Charlie about the dance, just something suddenly came up and he takes this and she kind of rebuffs him a little bit, but like, you know, he takes it as like, you know, okay. Takes it in stride. And he's actually very nice about it. And so anyway, then because all of the, uh, the kids are deciding to get little extra jobs, I guess. So Bobby decides that because he's a, a safety monitor, he sees a sign for this like missing school supplies or whatever. And so there's like a reward for that. And so he has like a, a teacher like spread their legs and just like searches them uh, against a bus, I believe. And so we see that this teacher just like has to like spread, spread them pretty much. And he's like searching her a little bit. And then we see that all of these office supplies are like falling out of like under her dress or whatever, which is really silly. Um, anyway, so that happened. So we have Bobby doing his part and then we have, um, Greg trying to get a record deal. And so he goes to like this like record agency or record label or whatever. And so he goes there and he's trying to like, he of course is trying to tout like the song, which is an actual song from the show, which was the clowns never laughed before and beanstalks never grew whatever. And anyway, so like, so he's trying to talk to this big record exec or whatever who actually is barry williams who's the original greg brady and so he's all like no all of this today is about like you know grunge it's about like what's in the here and now or whatever and so greg is like rebuffed by this guy and then um he tries to like hook up he tries to like kind of like cruise the the girl at the the desk or whatever of the record label and she's just like an unaffected 90s girl and she's just like mm, 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 mm. i love it it's so good so then you have um god this movie is literally all over the place everybody okay let's get into it but anyway so we have mrs dittmeyer who is outside um she's just like lounging being all hungover um and so she I think what happens is that like Greg comes up to her and it's just like being just like a normal person. And she like, cause I think what happens is that she comes up to him. Oh, he comes over to like see Eric or whatever. And so that's fine and dandy, I guess. But then Peter comes over too. Um, he's like, Hey, Mrs. Dittmeyer, can I like, you know, mow your lawn for you? Like, you know, we're trying to make some extra money. 
And then Mrs. Dittmeyer is just seducing Greg and Peter. And I know this is for comedy, but that is definitely not appropriate. She is a married woman. And also she is way older than them. Hey, nothing wrong with a little age difference, but they're also underage. But anyway, so like that happened. That was interesting. Anyway, but um, Gene Smart is such an icon in this movie, though, by the way. But anyway, so we then have Mike and Carol in bed. They're talking about just like, you know, the worries of just like they want to keep their house, of course, and all of this. So, of course, they're going to talk about that a little bit. And so then we see Marsha and Noreen are in bed because it was okay for her to sleep over. And so they're literally, like, right next to each other. Like, um, Noreen's on the right side and Marsha's on the left side of her bed. And I just think it's very funny. And we hear, like, uh, Jan just, like, snoring, I think. But anyway, so, like, uh, they're talking about, like, they're talking about, like, you know, I wish there was something I could do to, like, you know, try to get that money for the house or whatever. And then Noreen's just, like, Marsha, you're like the prettiest girl that in our school that I've ever seen. And Marsha's just like, I know, but like, what can she do? And so this is where she gets the idea that she could become a teen model. And so um she decides to go become a teen model. We then also see that Noreen, I think, like, uh brushes up against like Marsha's leg. Um, and Marsha's just like, Noreen, like, is that you? And it was just really funny. You could tell that Noreen is like thirsting after Marsha a little bit. Anyway, so then we see that, um, okay, so now she's going to go be a teen model. So Marsha goes to the teen modeling agency or whatever, and then Jan comes along with her. And um, so, like, they go in because uh, the Brady girls, like, um, they there's some model there who has her portfolio or whatever. And she's like, <laughs> She, they're just like, you know, oh, like, you know, uh, what, what have you done? Like, what, what ads have you done? And she's just like, guess, which is guess jeans. And then, of course, they're just like asking about, like, cause it's just really funny. It's a really good wordplay, little joke or whatever. And then, um, she's like, guess jeans. And then either they start saying, like, Levi's, Wranglers, Oshposh, Gosh. It's very good. And anyway, so um, then the person at the modeling agency, like, brings the Brady girls in. So we see that they're in, like, this photo studio where there's, like, this photographer guy and there's these other models there. And so then um, they decide that, you know, oh, what do you girls have to offer? Da-da-da-da, whatever, whatever. And so then we just see that, like, they literally have brought, like, a literal tape recorder to this modeling audition or whatever. And anyway, so, like, they literally have, like, they t- put this music on and literally it starts playing the charlie's angels theme song and they i have in my notes they served the charlie's angels theme song where it's literally just like Marsha doing these poses and jan's just like jumping up a little bit and just trying to serve and like do all of that and so then um the guy the photographer politely uh escorts jan out of the agency as a whole and he keeps Marsha there though because you know he thinks he can maybe do a little something with Marsha, but he's saying like you know hey Marsha, you got a little something but like we need to change this up or whatever uh you need to be better or whatever and she's like you mean like you know walk with a book on my head and he's just like no you have to like cut this mousy hair you have to cap these teeth and then lose 30 pounds my little sausage and then (laughs) you just see like um Marsha like slaps this guy and he and he also asks like you know what do you think of breast implants and she slaps him and then she's all like cut my hair and it's just like very good this movie is so silly and I love everything about it it's so good but anyway so 
then we see that uh, so we move from this scene again this thing is all over the place but anyway so alice and carol they go out to get meat from sam who is alice's boyfriend uh and who is he played by he's played by somebody he's played by david graff who was in the uh police academy movies oh no and he's dead oh that's sad but anyway so yeah anyway but he's played by that guy which is really nice and i think he's like really fun and enjoyable i like i like him but anyway so then you have they're getting meat from them and a neighbor asks one of the neighbors um asks if they're moving because all of the other neighbors are also um selling their house uh because dittmeyer has gotten them to try to sell their house or whatever and so then but you know carol's all like no we're not moving like you know we'd never move out of there blah 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 and so then uh, they literally get like 20 pounds of ground chuck or something. And like literally Alice makes like a giant meatloaf or something. It's very weird. But anyway, so then you then have uh, Marsha. Yeah, Marsha is looking for a letter from Davy Jones because he's trying. she's trying to get him to play at, his, at, the, uh, at the dance that's coming up, which is like, okay, fair. So then like Marsha is told like, oh, hey, rally the troops, like, everyone you know come in dinner's ready or whatever and so she goes out to the uh backyard while i think it's peter and greg they're gonna play a game of football and peter is asking greg like you know how do you like get a girl to like notice you and try to like you and then greg's all like you know hey if you just tell her that she's a really far out chick and she's groovy then like you know most girls will take that and whatever anyway so they play football and then they throw the football and it hits Marsha in the nose. And this, of course, is like the most known episode of Brady Bunch ever is that when Marsha gets hit in the nose. But anyway, so she gets hit in the nose of the football. And so, of course, Jan is ecstatic about this, uh, as she would be. Um, and anyway, so then we have like a whole dialogue where I think it was like Alice, like... Um, <laughs> putting her foot in her mouth or whatever, because she notices her nose or whatever. And she's just like very much like uh focused on that anyway so they then talk about what can make them really feel a whole lot better and of course the thing that makes them feel better is a potato sack race because why wouldn't they i don't know what the whole thing with the brady's and potato sack races were but you know okay whatever but then the neighbors confront dittmeyer they're at his home and they're asking him about like why are the brady's not selling their house like we are optioning our houses to be put on the market and they haven't done theirs yet and so you know he of course is like trying to say like you know well they're going to and then also those brady's are weird as hell like you know if you notice like they have the astroturf like grass that they treat like real grass like one of the ladies says like you know and i hear that their maid works for free and then they say something about how there's like i've been over there once there's a bathroom for nine people like that's that's just impossible and crazy Anyway, so then you have all that. And so, of course, this is Dittmeyer trying to, like, uh, he is just trying to plot against the Bradys, which we do see in a little bit. But then we see that Doug uh, comes and picks up Marsha for their date to the dance. And so I also love this scene because, like, it's literally Doug Simpson coming up to the house. And he, it's so funny how, like, I love Carol and, and Mar- um I love Carol and Mike in this because they literally 
only know him as the big man on campus and they refer to him as such, which I just think is really funny because he's just like, yeah, okay. Cause that's such like a seventies thing to say, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's just an old timey thing. But anyway, we see that we have this going on and we see that like, um, Marsha has to finally show him that, you know, her nose is swollen, but like, it's okay because that's not what his nose is not what she's after he's after uh, which is gross but anyway so like <laughs> i also like how when they're leaving like carol gives um marcia a shawl because it's supposed to be cold or whatever and then she asks doug she's like do you have any protection and then doug's just like yes ma'am assorted colors and varieties or whatever of course like you know condoms and stuff but anyway yeah so you have that and then doug and marcia are in doug's car they're like driving but then they drive out to like this lookout point kind of place and so like they're going and you know they're he wants to pretty much make out with her and he you know is just kind of like he's crossing her boundaries you know where you know i don't do that kind of stuff you know and i hope this doesn't sound the rest of our date and of course it does and so like <laughs> and so of course it does and like literally what ends up happening is that doug leaves marcia out in just the you know fucking street or whatever and like then we see that this car is driving up and we see it's like a limousine and then of course like marsha's like oh i don't take rides from you know strangers or whatever and he's just asking like oh how do i get to westdale high school and she's like oh that's where i'm going and so we see that kind of going on um i have in my notes that noreen is an icon and i'm sure she is i just don't know what that's exactly like referring to i guess it's referring to just the fact that like noreen is like doing something and she looks awesome because we then go into like um (laughs) the school dance we end up going into there yeah we end up going into there and that's fine and dandy um and then we're at the school dance, so I have in my notes such iconic looks, because there are some iconic looks. It's very much a mix of, like, the grunge style, and then you also have, like, Jan's there, and, like, um, Greg is there as well, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. But then Marsha ends up showing up as well. We have the fake grunge songs, um, which, again, I think these are all just fake grunge songs. And anyway, so then you have Greg goes up to perform as Johnny Bravo, and it's not, nobody's featuring him. But anyway, so then this is where this like whole scene is. So like you see that Doug Simpson comes in, you have all this stuff. And then of course, Jan uh, is trying to do something to set herself apart. So she comes in, you know, and she uh, decides to set herself apart. She puts on this afro wig and she decides that she's the new jam brady and it's of course my favorite line of just saying hi everybody it's the new jan brady (laughs) and so like it's just so silly and i mean is it appropriative yeah a little bit but like is it funny i don't know your mileage may vary but anyway i just think but this is also like the thing is is that this is also literally in the show of this where literally the same kind of thing happens just on a smaller scale where literally one of the episodes of the Brady Bunch back in the seventies was that to set herself apart, Jan gets an Afro wig and she tries to wear it. It's really weird. The seventies were a time, man. But anyway, so then we see that actually we see this grunge band go away and, um, 
then Marsha comes up on stage and she's just like, you know, I didn't think that he was going to come. Can I have your attention, please? Like, I didn't think he was going to come, but I was able to get Davy Jones to come to our, you know, uh, dance, which does happen in the um, show, actually, where he does guest star on an episode, of course, because he was a big deal back then. Um, he's now since passed away, but Davy Jones comes up. But what I love about this is that, like, um, because this is literally 90s era Los Angeles, literally none of the students care because they hardly even know who Davy Jones is. Um, but so everyone's he's just like, uh, they're just like, OK, grandpa, like, what the hell? But then, of course, the female teachers lose it because they're just like, oh, my God, they're so good. And so you see that. um yeah. So this whole scene is just like, yeah, Davy Jones starts, he starts performing one of his songs, Girl. And I love this scene. I just said in my notes that this is such a great scene because I love how, like, um, we see that Doug Simpson, like, he's there, but, like, he's not really featuring Marsha. And then Charlie comes up to Marsha and is all like, hey, you know, like, um, I think you look really pretty and, like, whatever. And then even Marsha's just like, you know, it was rude for me to cancel our date. Like, you know, I want to make it up to you. And he's like, well, what about a dance? And then they go out and they dance on the dance floor. And it's just like super nice. And it's just like, so, so good. Um, and then you have this whole thing where Doug comes into the, the dance and he's like trying to um, talk to Marsha or whatever. And, you know, is all like he, she rebuffs him because he was being an asshole. And he then calls her a slut. I know. And anyway, so then, like, you know, Charlie does not want him to talk to her like that. And he even says, he's like, oh, hey, Marsha, can you go get our coats? I have a little something to discuss. Um, and Charlie even goes up and says, hey, I don't like how you, you're not going to talk to Marsha like that. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And kind of, like, threatening him a little bit. And so, of course, like, Charlie is, like, not the fighter type. But anyway, but you know who is, though? Noreen. Because literally, like, uh, Charlie and Noreen were kind of talking a little bit, I think. And uh, Noreen wants that smoke. And so she's just like, hey, Doug, want a little punch? And she, like, punches Doug in the face, which is great. And I love how she asks, like, is he dead? it's like so good anyway but it's like really nice uh, but then of course like fucking uh marcia comes back and she's just like oh oh charlie and then of course like noreen's like devastated because like that was her that was her that punched him out like what the hell anyway but then you know noreen is comforted by this lit girl um who i guess is also a lesbian and uh yeah, they like look longingly at each other, I think it was. Um, I also love this um mashup of the Davy Jones song and the grunge as well. I think it works so good. It works so well. It oh my god, it's so good. Anyway, we then see Marsha comes back home and we see that we see that oh, because earlier like Doug was trying to like make out with her and he like French kisses her, and that was one of the other fun lines where, you know, it's called a French kiss, Marsha, and he's she's just like, I thought you were from Nebraska. <laughs> and so, like, anyway, um, we see that like Charlie is taking her home and he's like, Hey, can I get a good night kiss? And she's like, of course. And so he, she, she like kisses him and she slips in the tongue a little bit. And he's just like, Marsha, I think I just felt your tongue. And she's like, it's called a French kiss, Charlie. And then 
Oh my god, it's so silly because then he, she's he's like, you know, oh, Marsha, I, I think suddenly something came up or whatever. Like, it was just so good. And it's very much the innuendo, which this movie is rated PG-13 for racy innuendos. Literally, that's what it said on my Blu-ray. But anyway, so like, I love that because like, it's just showing that like, literally he is like, has a boner and it's just like that's the whole joke but anyway i just thought it was very funny i thought it was very silly anyway so then we see that marcia's in bed and then jan's in bed and then we just have jan waking up a bunch of times but like she wakes up and um jan wakes up and she screams and the reason she screams is because marcia's nose is now healed uh which is horrible and so anyway Oh, all throughout this movie, too. So we have Mike, who's still trying to get that $20,000 advance. And so then um, he, like, tries to, each time he has some lead coming in to maybe do an architectural build on whatever. So, like, the first one was, like, a gas station. The second one was, like, some other place or whatever. And both of them kind of, both of these leads, like, you know... um, kind of rebuffs him because of the style but then you have this third guy who's this like this asian dude and he's like doing health clubs or whatever and he's just like oh it's perfect i love it and so he gets a lead so mike gets a lead and he can maybe get that twenty thousand dollar advance like all right cool awesome awesome and so then of course this thing makes mike happy and makes the whole family happy so then mike uh says put on your sunday best kids we're going to sears and so they go to Sears. Um, so the family goes to Sears, as you do. Um, and there's just like a whole musical number of just, God, what was the song that they were singing? I think it was just like, um, it wasn't the keep on song. It was, um, it's a sunshine day. That's what it was. And so they're just like singing throughout the store. And it's just like very, very silly. And like, what I also love too, is the people reacting to them throughout this whole movie is very funny. Anyway, Dittmeyer is like getting himself a new toilet, I think. But then he like drops it because like these people, because of course, somebody says like, Oh, Tori Spelling's here. Like, you know, uh, signing her new perfume or whatever and so like they knock him down or whatever and i love the scene where like he's knocked down in front of these like tvs and all of the brady kids are like (laughs) all the brady's are like around him it's just like very funny it's so silly but anyway so then um what ends up happening though is that you have that whole musical number it's great but then dittmeyer decides that like all right well oh because what ended up happening was that i think they got other they ended up getting other mail, I think, from the county um, saying that they're actually going to auction off the Brady's house. Because then what ends up happening is that um, Dittmeyer actually goes and sabotages Mike from getting that $20,000 advance. Because, again, he's gotten this lead. And so then, then though, because he uses this information from the county, um, he calls over to the guy who has the health clubs or whatever. And they, he calls over to him and pretty much sabotages Mike getting this money where he says like, you know, Oh yeah. Like, you know, the last time that they, you know, built something with Mike Brady's stuff, like this thing collapsed and whatever. And he just isn't a good architect. Like, you know, you shouldn't trust him in his designs. And so we see that all happening. And then we see that when he tells him this, when Dittmeyer tells the guy this, he then calls up Mike 
and so of course like uh so mike answers the phone but for some reason when he answers the phone we see that the brady's are all in their living room just square dancing and i have in my notes why are they square dancing but i don't know who knows anyway so we we find out that actually what happens is that mike loses his lead so he loses out on that twenty thousand dollars that they thought they were gonna get and so they're kind of all back to square one now then we see that um Sam and Alice are together, so we have Sam bringing Alice home from a uh, from a date, I guess. And so instead of giving her a wedding ring, he gives her a bowling ball, I believe. <laughs> I'm bowled over. And so anyway, but then you see that uh, you know, Sam and Alice they they get a little something something going on. Because all this time, though, that what happened was that there was also like this backyard kids meeting that happened like earlier in the movie. And anyway, so they talk about like, how else can we like raise up money? Because we haven't really been able to raise that much. Um, And Jan had earlier seen a sign for the search for the stars competition where the first prize was exactly $20,000. And so um, she tells the kids this and they're just like, oh, Jan, like, that's crazy. Like, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Anyway, so Sam and Alice, like I said, they come back to the house and you know whatever and then what ends up happening though is that like once they lose out on that that money marcia then decides to like say hey we can still enter that search for the stars competition and then jan's all like you know i literally said that two days ago <laughs> and, and you know they're like oh don't be selfish jan and it's just like very silly and stupid but anyway so like Anyway, that's when Sam and Alice come into the picture, because the funny thing is that Alice, because what's happening is that the Brady's now have to move, so they're packing up all their stuff, and so then Jan decides she has to run away. She's going to run away now, but I do love the scene where, like, it's in the middle of the dark, and they're all sleeping in, like, the living room or whatever. But you see that Sam, or no, she, you see that Alice is coming out and she has this like leather getup on, which is very funny. And anyway, so you have that and then they're getting a little something, something on, you know, whatever. Uh, but Jan decides to run away. Um, and so we see that, you know, she's running away. And so uh, she wakes up Cindy, I think. And, you know, you could, you could tattle all you want and whatever. And yeah, so Jan decides to run away without, you know, uh, before she that she accidentally runs to a box, though. But she still runs away. And so then we find out that, you know, uh, the family is going and looking for her. Um, they find out that, like, you know, she's run away. We see a scene where, like, she, uh, Jan is, like, walking down Hollywood Boulevard or, like, some fucking street or whatever with the the sex workers of the night okay and she has her wig on her afro wig apparently anyway so then you're walking down this and you know um they decide to go looking for her um because then also jan decides to hitchhike um and she gets picked up by a trucker as well this is definitely like a kind of i think it's a uh it seems like a nod to the fact that Eve Plum, after having done the Brady Bunch, then went on to be in a movie where she ended up being a teenage runaway and she ended up being a teenage sex worker. So, like, that is probably some sort of inspiration to this. But anyway, that happened. And then, so, the the family is all in the kitchen, right? And they're all like, you know, oh, no, she ran away. Like, you know, 
all of this. And then I love how Sam just comes out of like wherever Alice lives. Cause I guess she's a living housekeeper. And anyway, so like he comes out there, he just has a cigar in his hand and he's like going into the, uh, the, the refrigerator and they're like, Sam, what are you doing here? And he was like, Oh, I was just uh, packing some meat, you know? And, uh, well, well then Sam. Hey, but anyway, so, Anyway, so Jan has gotten picked up by a trucker, but we don't see the trucker quite yet. We're just like, oh, no, like what happened to Jan? And then we see that Jan has actually been uh, picked up by a a woman trucker who is is played by the original uh, Alice, Ann B. Davis, um, who unfortunately passed away uh, many, many years ago. uh, But, you know, she was a very funny lady. And so we also see that Jan has her inner voices come back. But now it's like the new Jan Brady is a voice that she has. And... She's like, it's the new Jan Brady. Let's go knock over a 7-Eleven. And it's like really funny. And it's just this movie is so silly. It's so silly and campy. And that's what I love about it. Anyway, so we find out the trucker's name is Schultzy, which I thought was funny because this is a direct reference to another character that Ambie Davis had played before on another show. Um, so it's very funny. Anyway, but like, you know, the family is like driving around trying to find her. We see that they have a CB radio in their car. And because that was a big thing in the 70s, apparently, that you could, you know, talk on the CB radio. And they're putting out a, a bulletin to like try to find Jan. Uh, I like how her name, uh, Carol's name is Christmas Carol on the um, the CB radio. It's very funny. Uh, and then, of course, Schultzy is the name that um, the truck driver has. Anyway, but after all of that, because, like, Schultzy talks to Jan about, you know, how she's running away, but, you know, she doesn't know she's Jan quite yet or whatever, and so then, because they hear the bulletin, but then, you know, Schultzy's talking about, like, you know, how she has some inner voices sometimes, too, or, or whatever the hell, and then also... But she talks about how hard it is being a middle child. You don't feel like you're special and all of that. And this makes Jan feel good. And it makes her feel like she's not alone. And I think, again, this movie is not deep whatsoever at all. But I do think that it's a nice little thing to have in here. Because that was really something that, obviously, the show kind of tackled. Was like, how do you have this blended family? And how do you, like, stand out when you're in the middle person? You know what I mean? Which both, I think, Jan especially. But then also Peter uh, also kind of handled, too. Because they're not Bobby and Cindy, but they're not Greg and Marsha, you know. So I don't know. I think they dealt with that very well. And and again, it's not a deep part of the movie, but I thought it was very nice. Anyway, so Jan comes back home, and but everyone's actually out looking for her. Um, and so um, she comes back home though, and then um, Schultzy then tells the family they're like, you know, hey, I just dropped them off at this. Yeah, I just dropped Jan off at this address. Like she's back home, all that, and they're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. So then you have, um, now that they're all back together, and they have their own little like little thing about you know how. Again, it's like the little bit of deepness in this movie where, you know, Jan talks about how, like, you guys are all my family. We're the Brady Bunch, all this kind of stuff. They, they have this whole scene about, like, how they're now going to enter the search for the stars competition or whatever. And Marsha talks about how, like, it was Jan's idea and, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. They're making everyone feel good. And I also love how Mike has these different, like statements that he makes uh all throughout and they're just like kind of these like i don't even know if you call them platitudes but like they kind of are where they're just like kind of circular sort of like speeches he makes um it's just very funny and i think they're very silly 
Um, and anyway, so <laughs> we then have, uh, so they enter the search for the stars competition and we see that, um, they're setting up in like their, um, like 70s inspired outfits, of course. Uh, we see that Peter and Holly, so Holly is there watching her boyfriend, kind of, uh, Eric, playing in his grunge band called Flem beforehand. Um, and she's watching him, and then they have a little exchange where, like, uh, Eric's just rude to him. Uh, she's just, he's just rude to her. And Peter decides to stand up to him and is all like, you know, I don't like the way that you treat her. And, you know, he he peter's finally standing up for himself um and we then see that like because he likes holly and he doesn't like the way she's being treated and so then we see that eric is about to like come over and like clobber peter but then he actually steps on something and it hits him in the nuts and so he's like he's he's uh, down for the count and like holly is really interested in peter and is like oh my god that's like so nice and i think you're really cool too and he she kisses him and it makes because the other thing about this is that throughout the movie uh one of the things that peter deals with is the fact that his voice is changing uh throughout and so then after he gets his kiss from holly um his voice just goes really deep which is just very funny um and anyway so you have that it's just like really nice and then you have this iconic number of um Keep on, keep on, uh, which is like another song from the the show, and they're just uh, dancing to it and they're singing it and all this. You hear Peter, uh, like in his uh, deep voice in this, and it's very funny. I also like the girls because like Mike and Carol are like on the side watching them, and there's the girls who just have their trombones. I'd like to see their act; they seem like fun. And I also love how um, <laughs> there's like people in the audience who are like dancing along. That would definitely be me. Uh, you see Noreen's in the audience with like her new lesbian friend, um, and they're like getting into it too. And it's like really nice. I just put that this iconic number is a thing, and I love it. Anyway, so we then have. Um, the results of the search for the star competition and we find out that the Brady's have won. But then of course um, you have the reason that they won is because you have uh, literally the judges of this competition are the monkeys themselves. We have Davy Jones already who was there, uh, Mickey Dolenz um, and then Peter Torque as well, which I thought was like really silly. And also a little fun fact. Um, I don't, Davy Jones, I think, was in an episode of this, but also the monkeys do make a little appearance in um, the Boy Meets World episode as well. They also star in that, which is really fun. So then the Brady's win, but the thing is, is that uh, Eric has called his father because remember that the county was going to put their house up for auction. And so that's what they're going to do. That's why they have to move now. And so Eric, uh, is told by his dad, like, you know, Hey, like, you know, they won this contest and they have the money to pay for the house and all that. And Dit Meyer's all like, you know, well, stop them and do what you have to do to stop them. And so then, uh, Eric rips out the wiring of the car of their station wagon. And so, uh, then they're leaving and they're trying to like start the car, but they can't because the wiring is ripped out. But then of course you have something back from the beginning of the movie comes back where the carjacker guy, he is there and he's trying to break into a car and, um, 
like, but Greg and Marsha see him be like, oh, hey, that's our friend. And be like, hey, do you think you can give us a ride? And they don't realize he's trying to steal a car, I guess. But anyway, so then the police have come. Um, and anyway, but like, it's like they talk to the police and they're all like, you know, well, he was going to give us a ride, you know, to our house because like, you know, the, the city has put our auction, has auctioned our house and like, we're trying to get to it. And uh, Bobby then pulls out some stuff about, you know, being like, a police officer or whatever, or being a law enforcement person. Um, but yeah, so the police actually help out the Brady's because we are then cutting back to like how, uh, the auction is about to start and like, uh, the auction is actually starting now and putting up the bid for the house and everything. But then the police finally come through with the Brady's where also, uh, Carol is on the back of one of their police, uh, motorcycles, which is really fun. But anyway, so they're there and, um, yeah, they stop it and they're just like, they're just like, no, no. Um, and so, yeah, they, they stop the auction. They say they have the money to pay and all this. And yeah, so then we have that, like, that all happens. I also like how the, the carjacker is also with them. I just, I kind of like that detail. It's really fun. But anyway, so we see that, like, the rest of the, neighborhood is all like you know Dittmeyer I thought you were gonna like you know I don't want to sell my house either or whatever and so they're all kind of mad at Dittmeyer and he like you know slinks away or whatever but like pretty much you know the Brady's also it's Mike who's really saying this where you know he's saying like you know hey look like you know I wouldn't want to move from here like it's not about like the place that you're living it's not about that it's about the people you're around and you guys are such good neighbors you know and we all know each other and we've all helped each other and in all this and this is no different so it's just very nice and i like how one of the dads is um one of the guys is the dad from the fresh prince of bel-air i think that's really funny but then also like i love also in this because this movie is so queer friendly because like Noreen's definitely a lesbian uh, in a coded way. Uh, there is definitely a gay couple who also lives near the Brady's and like is cool with them. I feel like the Brady's would love the gays. Like, you know what I mean? Like, come on now. Lance Bass likes the Brady's. So, I mean, come on now. Let's, let's be real. Cause you know, anyway, but anyway, of course we have to have our obligatory cameo at the end of the movie, which is uh, Grandma Brady, who is Florence Henderson, Carol Brady herself. And so they're talking about like, you know, um, oh, Grandma, you wouldn't believe what happened, blah, 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 blah. And so like, you know, of course she like fawns over Marsha and then Jan is like having her inner voices and then, you know, um, she's like, oh, Jan. And then she makes the, the voices stop or whatever. <laughs> she's like, Jan, cut the crap. And then, you know, Jan's just like, thanks, Grandma. And then, of course, uh, so again, they're all together. And then also a little fun fact, Florence Henderson was not featuring this at all. And she did not want to do this, like, cameo or whatever. And they pretty much were able to persuade her by giving her more money, which is just how that works. But anyway, and then anyway, you have the actual end of this movie, where the end of this movie is literally how now Cindy is hearing the voices in her head uh where maybe she actually is turning into the actual bad seed i don't know but yeah and that's pretty much the end of the brady bunch movie but then we have our iconic end title sequence where you have um the ending of the brady bunch theme and everything like that and it's very funny because like this whole thing is like all of these different people like i love this um little tic-tac-toe thing where like in each each um 
each square is like something different. So like, for example, like Marsha and Noreen are in one and Marsha finally uh, gets, Noreen finally gets to kiss Marsha, uh, RuPaul. And I think, Greg are in one, which is really fun. We also then have like Bobby is like in police, uh, this like police outfit or whatever. It's very funny. We have um Alice in like her leather like little getup. <laughs> we then have Mrs. Dittmeyer like going down on like Mr. Brady or whatever. It's very funny. And if you watch that end scene, it's so good. And then that's what actually ends the whole movie. And then we go into our actual end title sequence. And then that is the end of the Brady Bunch movie. So I think it's needless to say, I already mentioned it earlier in the show, but you know, I, I love this movie a lot. I think it just has such a warm place in my heart. I think it's a movie that I think absolutely does its job in parroting the show, bringing stuff from the show into the 90s, and also just kind of poking fun at the ridiculousness of the show in a a weird way. And more so in the sequel, they do that too. But like, I think this is such a a great entry, and, and I do think it is something where... I mean, it really stands on its own. I think this and the sequel stand on their own and are actually good and kind of underrated a little bit too. I I think they need to, more people need to watch this movie. They need to watch this and the sequel and just enjoy the fact that these movies exist and they are absolutely put on this planet for a particular reason. So, and I think the cast is really funny. I think they know all exactly what kind of movie they're in and I appreciate that as well. And and yeah, I just think it's awesome, dude. Like, I love them so much. And I don't even really know if you can really make a movie like this nowadays um, that would actually be good in a way that is poking fun at something like this, because a lot of them end up not really working, unfortunately. Anyway, in terms of being able to watch this, I know that I think right now it's it's probably on Prime somewhere. I know that and the sequel sometimes come on Prime every so often. So definitely, if you got Amazon Prime, be on the lookout. It sometimes is on Prime here and there. I do also have a double feature of this on a blu-ray uh that i actually got pretty cheap which was nice on amazon so if you are at all interested in both this and the sequel i would definitely look into uh getting that blu-ray if you want uh definitely highly recommend and yeah it doesn't really show up anywhere else a whole lot that i can think of definitely i think that you know this is definitely worth a watch for not even just people who are fans of the the show i don't even think necessarily if you have seen the show yeah you'll get some of the reference of course but i think even just like um this on just being a parody of the 70s in general, I think, is just also really funny. And and in a weird way, too, I, I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but, like, you know, this is also kind of an interesting time capsule of the 90s, too, nowadays, you know? And so uh, that's also really funny how that is. And, yeah, I just think this is a movie that is worth a watch. Uh, it's not something you have to think a whole lot about. It's not a deep movie by any means, which is perfect, which is fine with me, um, because sometimes you want something to turn your brain off to, and this is absolutely a movie you can do that with, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I I just think you should watch it and and enjoy it for what it is, and yeah, just give yourself a nice little laugh and watch the Brady Bunch movie. God damn it. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you'd like to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd just like to say hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow the show on Instagram at cultcinemacircle, and on Twitter at cultcinemacircle. I tend to announce the movies that I'm going to be covering and just interact with people on there if they want. 
You can also follow me on Letterboxd at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On that platform, I tend to log the movies that I watch, I write little stupid reviews about them, and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 1996's A Very Brady Sequel. The Bradys are surprised when a man claiming to be Carol's long-lost first husband shows up at their home. Before long, his strange actions causes them to question his motives. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, as a wise man once said, wherever you go, there you are. Take care. Bye.